I think there was this magical moment after about a year of my last position where that experience really gave me the confidence to say, you know what? I can actually do this. This is a good point in my life where I can do this. And at that point, I could think the idea of Starling started to become clear as well. And so it just seemed like the right moment to like, okay, let's go do this. Welcome to the Self-Starter Podcast, a place where stories are shared from women, just like you, who left the colorless corporate world with an idea and a passion and ran with it to create the vibrant life they always wanted to live. My name is Megan Tobler, and every week I'll be bringing real women to you to share their entrepreneurial journey in hopes of inspiring you to take the very first step of your own. Sometimes the hardest part is just to start. So come on, start today for you, start today for her, and become a self-starter. Let's go. We live in a world where there seems to be a ton of training for those just starting out and those at the top. But what about the people in the middle? That's where today's guest, Rachel Koblick, co-founder of Starling comes in. With a master's degree and passion for instructional design, Rachel has created a professional development solution for mid-level managers within the corporate world to excel. Tune in to hear how her previous executive level positions prepared her for a life of entrepreneurship, why she is focused on mid-level positions, and how Starling's program is different from any other professional development solution out there. If you've ever wondered what it's like to build a business from the ground up, then this episode is for you. Rachel, I am beyond honored to have you on today's podcast because you are someone that I have always respected both personally and professionally. So thank you so much for joining the Self-Starter Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Now, you and I worked together previously within the corporate setting, but now we're both doing our own things. So it's, it's really exciting to be able to have this conversation today. Now, you're the co-founder of a company called Starling. So before we dive into your past here, I would love to just understand what is Starling? Yeah, absolutely. So Starling is basically a professional development solution. It's professional development for mid-level managers or mid-level leaders. You know, by that, I mean people who are like pretty squarely in the middle of an organization, whether it be managers or directors or new VPs, not the executive, not the entry level, but like kind of right in the middle. And what we're doing for them is providing education, so courses and learning experiences, resources, toolkits and things that you can use on the job, and then also this community aspect so you can connect to peers and other colleagues just like you to learn from. I will say it's like a little bit more than professional development in my mind because it's sort of organized around this this vision of changing the way that we work and really kind of mobilizing a new generation of leaders with a different kind of leadership style. And so that's kind of the big purpose here. I think it's a huge purpose. And you and I both came from the world where we were in the professional development space. So it's nice to be able to see you taking all the skill sets that you acquired throughout your professional experience and really applying it to something of your own that you truly believe in. So I do want to dive into Starling, but I want to put that in a hold for a second while we actually dive into your background, because I think your background is really what has been able to make Starling so successful already. So you have a a big passion for learning and learning design. Let's talk about your past. What did you do prior to founding Starling with your co-founder? So I have a little bit of an eclectic past. There's definitely some through lines to it, but it can also be viewed as a little bit all over the place. Right out of college, for example, I was a children's librarian at the American Library in Paris of all places. I did some recruiting at a hedge fund for a while in New York City, kind of found my way into like HR and, and the people professions was director of operations at a wine school. And then ultimately kind of the most recent history is learning design and then leading learning design and development teams 
at, you know, everything from a massive ed tech company to a kind of smaller startups in, in the executive ed and professional learning space. So always in and around learning, really. And now you said it's kind of like an eclectic past a little bit, kind of all over the place, but I do see some themes in your past that have been able to really combine together that allowed you to really birth Starling. It's it's around people, it's around learning, and it's around operations. That's right. I call myself a generalist and quite interdisciplinary. And I think I used to have like a lot of anxiety around the fact that I wasn't somebody who had like, like my brother, for example, he's a doctor, right? He went to college for science. He graduated and went to med school. He finished med school. He became a doctor. Now he's been a doctor for 20 years, right? It's like very clear who you are and what your expertise is. And, you know, I've always kind of jumped around and done a little bit of everything, even, even as a kid, really. But I think it was like, I think it was a therapist (laughs) who once told me like, that's okay. It's exactly what you were meant to do. And I think it culminates in exactly where you were meant to be. And as you were saying, like, that's exactly how I feel about Starling. It just feels like such a perfect culmination of all of these different random things that I've done in my life. And there's a term that I like to use that I've heard throughout the grapevine called multi-passionate. And I think there are people out there that want to be doctors and lawyers. And while that's not an easy task or an easy path to take, it's a little bit more linear. Whereas some people like you and I, we've had all these different experiences where it might seem like a little bit yo-yo-y, but it all ultimately culminates into one certain thing at the end of the day, which is Starling for you. So I really want to talk about, you got a master's degree in learning as well. You were also doing that while simultaneously building out learning programs for two other companies, I should say. What kind of caused you to go back to school to be able to further advance your skill set in that capacity? It's a good question. So you know, everything I know or had known about learning design and learning had been self-taught up to that point. And so I had always, you know, I, everything I had learned, I learned for myself in my own work. And I I had this sense that, you know, there may be gaps that I needed to fill. And so that was part of it, right? Like wanting to go back to a formal educational program to kind of fill some of those knowledge and skill gaps. The other big thing for me is like being in the learning space and working with colleges and universities to create online masters. I was like, well, listen, I want to put my money where my mouth is and go be an online master's student and see what that actually feels like and means. So that was a big part of it too. And then the other thing I think is like, you know, I I still don't know how I really feel about this, but the credential, you know, I think to some people, the credential matters. If you don't have a master's degree, you're going to get filtered out of some applicant processes. I don't know that I fully believe right now that master's in advanced degrees or even degrees are necessary, but I do think at the moment that was part of my decision-making process as well. Well, especially I think getting a master's degree is really understanding the science probably behind how people best learn. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah. 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 The degree that I got is basically an instructional design. It's called like a master's of science in education and instructional systems technology, which is a fancy word for design. And what I thought was really cool actually about this degree that I didn't anticipate going in is that it's really like, it's just teaching you problem solving in a way that's like deeply transferable to every aspect of life. And I mean, that's, that's what I feel about learning design. It's like the process that we go through to like design and create how people learn is so relevant to everything that we do as leaders, as business owners, as people who work with customers, like it's all about learning. Absolutely. And it kind of goes back to your experiences from your early days. It goes back to the people side of the business. You're fascinated by people. You're fascinated by learning and the operations behind it. So again, it's it's bringing all of those three categories into one here. 
When you went to get your master's, what was kind of the biggest takeaway that you were able to extract throughout all of your learnings that you're now applying into, I guess, previously into the corporate world and now into your business with Starling? That is an interesting question. Biggest takeaways. Um, you know, it's like they kind of walk you through this process of instructional design, which, you know, in very traditional models, it's called ADDI. It's a process that's like analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. And I think like just kind of learning some of the skills of analysis and, and evaluation in particular, like I feel like I've taken a lot of that into my life of how to break stuff down, look at the component pieces, and then identify a potential solution and then evaluate it, make sure it's kind of using data to see if it's working or not working. That's kind of like, I guess that would be the conventional answer. I feel like the other more unconventional answer is like, there's this one book that I read during the program called The Design Way, written by this professor, Eric Stolterman, who is still a professor at Indiana University Bloomington, which is where I did the master's. And like that book really changed the way that I think. It's like all about the discipline of design and how it's it's not a combination of art and science. It's this whole own thing. And really like being a designer is a way of life and a way of thinking. And I think a lot of those ideas kind of came with me into my life and like has shaped my identity as both a leader and a designer. That's really interesting. You mentioned it shaped your identity from both a leader and a designer. And you and I worked at a previous company where you were a leader within the company. You were designing the programs and you decided to make the leap and to do something of your own. So what was kind of that pivotal moment where you decided that, you know what, things are going great here, but I really have a passion for something of my own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I will say, I feel like for many years, I've sort of talked about starting a business and just never really knew what that business would be. I always knew it would be something that would be interesting to me, right? Like I, at some point I started an Etsy shop and I just loved that. Like I loved doing the marketing and the branding and all this stuff. It's like a problem to solve, to see if people will buy stuff from you, right? Never really knew what that business would be. And, and quite honestly, like I don't, I don't think I ever really had the confidence that I could do it truly. And so I think there was this magical moment, like after about a year of my last position where that experience really gave me the confidence, I think, to say, you know what, I can actually do this. Like, this is a good point in my life where I can do this. And at that point, I could think the idea of Starling started to become clear as well. And so it just seemed like the right moment to kind of like, okay, let's go do this. Yeah. Confidence is everything. And I think confidence comes from doing. So what was it about the previous job that really gave you the confidence to know that you were capable of something like this? I think part of it was in that particular role, I was much closer to the top of the business and had much greater insight into what was going on within the business. And I think understanding how that worked and what that looked like, I think previously it had been a little bit of like a black whole and, you know, it felt really intimidating because I didn't quite know what it entailed or involved. And I think seeing that much more clearly, I was like, oh, I feel like I can do this. <laughs> I mean, like famous last words, but like, I don't know. I just, I think being exposed to what that looked like. Made Absolutely. It, yeah. Whenever I talk to people, I mean, my entire career has been at startups and I feel like yeah. that's almost the best education that you can get because Startups, you're constantly learning, you're pivoting, you're adapting based on the business's needs, but it's not on your dime. So that's almost like the best education that you can give yourself is being able to problem solve 
while someone else has really kind of made that investment themselves. So that way, when you decide to to go out on your own, you've already figured out some of the kinks that they had to work out in that prior business. That's right. And, you know, there will be more kinks, obviously. It's like, I'm sure like every founder ever has said this kind of stuff of like, I'm going to do it better and I'm going to do it different. And it's like, we all do the same thing and make other mistakes. So yeah, we'll see. But I definitely think uh, it was super helpful to see all of that and then kind of hit this point you know, because it was a certain point in my life too, where like, you know, I was building up an educational program for them. I think like in the previous role, I had been like very specifically overseeing learning design functions and less so the broad spectrum of things that go into like creating a whole program. And I think that in the year of, of my most recent job, I was looking at budget and finances. I was looking at student success and faculty relationships and the curriculum and all of this and that and whatever. It was like very multifaceted in a way that, again, I think gave me the confidence to like go and try to do a business where it was going to be a lot of different stuff that we had to take care of. Yeah, you definitely had lots of experiences at the last company. And I'm so glad that you took the leap and you're starting something of your own because speaking firsthand of the impact that you had at the previous company, I know that what you're creating now is going to just have an even more massive impact now that you're able to really make the program that you had really envisioned from the start. So when you did think about Starling, what was the first idea that you had, the first step that you took in kind of making this dream a reality? The first idea, the first step that I took, let's see. Um, you know, it's interesting because it's a lot of it is very personal to me. It's like very much rooted in my own experience. You know, I have spent the better part of my career and probably about 15 years in the middle, <laughs> like in not at the top, not at the bottom, but very squarely in the middle and like very aware of the challenges that that brings. And I think thinking about myself and my colleagues and all of the peers that I've met along the way, nobody kind of teaches you how to do the stuff that suddenly you need to do in the middle, right? There's just this whole set of stuff that like you have to figure out on your own. And so that's kind of like where it came from. I really just wanted to provide support for those people and people very much like me in their positions. First steps that I took, I created a Miro board. <laughs> just felt like I had so many ideas that I just wanted to put a bunch of ideas in a space and like start to organize them in there. And then I think I went to Amazon and bought five books on like how to start up a startup <laughs> and looked through those. I think those are great places to start. And for those people that don't know what a mirror board is, I know that you are a huge proponent of them. So can you just dive into what a mirror board is for anyone that's looking to brainstorm dump a little bit? Yeah, I love Miro. Miro.com, it's an online tool. It's basically like an online like sticky board, like post-it board where you can create my map and, uh, you know, all kinds of different stuff in there. There's there's free versions and there's paid versions. And I've always loved Miro. When I was at the previous company with you, I know that you used it in a lot of our trainings all the time. So it's a really great visual tool to be able to map out all of your ideas and to organize things. Just for anyone that's not familiar with it, really great tool to be able to explore a little bit here. But I know before we dove into Mira, we were talking about kind of those middle of the road employees at the companies, how there's really not a guidebook given to these individuals and you're kind of just left to figure it out. And I wanted to quote you on your website. You say that the workplace is in dire need of a makeover. Burnout is rampant. Toxic cultures persist. And old fashioned top down leadership is, out, is as outdated as a fax machine. So how does that apply to those in the middle? Like Megan, how many people do you know who have burnt out? Oh, everyone. <laughs> All of corporate. Right? Like how many people do you know who like are super happy and love their jobs? Honestly, very few. And that's really You're sad right. to say. I know. I know. And like, it just feels like there has to be a different way, right? I mean, I've definitely like, I've been there 
I think in the middle in particular, like you're in this interesting spot because like I oversaw 30 people at some point and it's like, I feel like I'm a little bit of an emotional sponge, but like, even if you're not, you're carrying 30 people's anxiety. Everybody like needs and wants something from you from the bottom. Like you're trying to do your job. You're trying to have an impact on the organization. And so you, you just get like this squeeze. And I think like there's research out there, like there's tons of research that shows like managers have an incredible impact on that. And managers are often like more susceptible to that burnout and those kind of like stress and anxiety feelings. Again, I just feel like there's got to be a better way. Like I personally, like my own worldview is much more egalitarian than it is hierarchical. And like, you know, you see a lot of like executive teams and CEOs being like asking their teams to step up and like, you know, like bruise your shins and whatever, but it's like, okay, sure. But we can also empower the people in the middle to like have more context, like teach them how to do their jobs well equalize the power between that middle layer and the top layer in a way that I think would benefit everyone. That's kind of where it came from. I've experienced all of that as well, unfortunately, but you mentioned the word empowering. So with Starling, how are you empowering these middle of the road employees to really kind of take control of their own learning in a way that's really unique and different from the way that other learning platforms are going about their processes? I will also say like the word empowering is like such an interesting one, right? Sometimes I try to check myself on using it because it kind of has this connotation of like, I am empowering you. That's not necessarily the vibe that I'm going for either. And we've tried to really consciously build this into Starling that I am not, I hate calling myself founder or leader of the community. It's like, I am one of the community and we are empowering each other and we are helping each other learn. And I think we very deliberately built this learning program in such a way that you're not learning from an expert. I think a lot of other programs still, that's their selling point. It's like, you're going to learn from the world's most expert. You know, you're going to learn from this person who has a hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn and like love those people. They really are a lot of really great people, but that creates a certain learning dynamic. You sit there in that class in front of a person who by all means knows their stuff and what they're saying should be true and accurate and right. And so you don't question it. And it's a very passive experience. I think you actually create a very different learning dynamic when the person who is teaching or kind of facilitating that class is much closer to a near peer and somebody who's like slightly more knowledgeable than you. I think it just, it keeps your, your brain engaged a little bit more. So we're trying to do stuff like that. We're trying not to, one of the things that I have never really liked about traditional education is that it like drives you linearly through a very specific path. And part of why we chose the platform that we did is that it enables you to create a learning experience that feels much more like a collection of stuff that you can explore and jump around in and be very self-directed more so than just kind of like, you know, a sheep on a path getting pushed down this like path to like learn this after that, after this, you know? Well, especially because, I mean, you went to school for understanding how people best learn. And I think that everyone learns in a very unique way. One linear path does not work for everyone. And it sounds like you really placed a focus on making this learning experience be a very collaborative experience where people feel like they're investing in the process as well. So they have a say in their education. Is that a fair takeaway? Yeah, for sure. How did you learn how to podcast? Honestly, I just started doing it. <laughs> I listen to a ton of podcasts and the whole basis of self-starter is like just taking the first step and just doing it. And like we were talking about earlier, confidence comes from the act of doing. And when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing, but I just got started. Other than that, I mean, I had conversations with people as well and, and I picked their brains, but for the most part, it was just getting started. 
Right. Yeah. And you were probably like, okay, I want to start a podcast. What do I need to know to start a podcast? Okay. I need to know like what platform to record it on. I need to know how to edit or whatever it is. Right. And you went out and found the things that you needed to know to do this. And like, when I think about things that I've learned in my past too, like I went through a neurotic phase of crocheting recently and it's like, I have learned it deeply and I went out and created my path, right? It's like, I went out and chose the YouTube videos that I want to watch and the books that I wanted to buy and the people I wanted to ask questions from. And that's such an effective learning experience. And I think that's kind of what I want our learning experiences to be more like is sparking something that drives you to go kind of choose your path and then also making it very social, right? And I think like, we're trying to get a lot of user-generated content into the course. So the content isn't just me or the designer telling you stuff. It's like a lot of perspectives and opinions and examples and stories from other people who are just like you that you can learn from as well. And you mentioned the word we, and I think this is a, a big thing to bring up in today's conversation. You actually chose to go down this entrepreneurial path with a co-founder. His name is Jeff Cerrone. I know you've worked with him in the past. So First of all, like, why did you decide to embark on the Starling journey with a partner and, and why Jeff? Um, I don't know that there was like a conscious decision to like have a partner in it, but I do think as I kind of reflect on it, it fits with the ethos in place that I'm at in my life right now. Like I do believe that collectives can accomplish more together than we can alone as individuals, right? And I've been lucky enough to have like a good little group of friends who I just, I think it's so magical every time we get together and the way that ideas transform and improve through collective intelligence is just magical to me. So I think starting with a partner kind of speaks to that. Yeah, Jeff and I have worked together for seven, eight years at this point. Um, and I think over the years, we've realized, like, I feel like at our last job, we did some kind of personality assessment together. And it showed us what I think we already knew was that, like, we're very complementary. He's very ops focused. Like, I'm kind of this, like, big picture strategy design. Like, he grounds me a lot, a lot when I'm, like, neurotic or anxious or, like, going, you know, going nuts. And so I just feel like together we have a really strong set of knowledge and skills to get through. And, and we have the same vision, the same that like we're very values aligned, right? Like, yeah, everything you see on the website for Charlene, everything we talk about is very much like our shared beliefs. Um, and so that kind of makes it really easy to work together. Well, and it sounds like everything that Jeff and you believe, all of your values that are in alignment here, you mentioned the term collective intelligence, that is being bred into everything that you're creating with the educational programs in general, because it is a collective experience. It is very collaborative. So it sounds like you're not only just kind of preaching this, but you're walking the walk as you're talking the talk. We're trying. That's one of the things that we think of as very important to us as we get started in Starling is to walk the walk. It's one thing to have things on your website or say that you believe in certain things. And we just really want to make sure that like the decisions that we, that we make, the words that we say, our behaviors, all of that kind of aligns with what we're saying, even when it's hard, you know? Yeah. And it definitely is. It is hard. Starting a business is never easy. I think that entrepreneurship can be glamorized, but we were talking about this before we hit record. There's a lot that you have to do as an entrepreneur that you maybe didn't have to do in corporate because you had a team to be able to help divvy up some of the tasks. But now that it's two people that are co-founding this, you're, you're kind of, you're doing it all over again from the very beginning. So it's definitely not easy, but I think it comes back to having that belief, having those values, and really just believing in something that's bigger than yourself to be able to keep you going for when the times do get hard. But 
with Starling, I know that we're about to launch the first training program, which is super exciting to be able to launch the first one. I believe by the time this episode airs, it'll already have been launched, but I am curious just to be able to understand kind of how you went about this launch strategy. How are you getting it into the masses? Yeah, it's a good question. And like, definitely not Jeff and I's area of expertise. And so who knows if we're doing it right, but uh, we're doing something. You know, like I've been building my network on LinkedIn for for a little bit. It's certainly not as big as a lot of people's out there, but I do feel like I've made some really good connections and, you know, Jeff has too. And so we're very focused on that for now. We made a decision pretty early on to like move pretty quickly and try to like get something out pretty quickly. We just started working together in what, like April or something like that. And, and are very much thinking about some of these early steps as almost prototypes because we wanted to get it in front of people, get feedback, you know, wanted to understand if people would pay for this before we, you know, really invested a ton of money or time into it. And so that was part of it, move quickly. And that means like not spending marketing dollars really, like we're limiting the first cohort just to kind of like control it a little bit to make sure that we don't get overwhelmed and just to get some feedback and and improve it because the first iteration of anything is probably going to have a lot of feedback. And so, yeah, mostly using social you know, we try to think about from all the smart people that we've met and learned from along the way of like how to send marketing emails and cadences to use and all that kind of stuff. We did some market research on the pricing and are just going for it. So when you say that you're limiting the cohort for the first group, like what do you envision the group to really look like as your first prototype group, essentially? We're going to cap enrollment at 20 people just so that the live session can be fairly interactive and intimate. So we've already made pivots along the way. Like I can see how this happens very easily. Like at first we were going to launch the whole course as a four-week program. And we decided as the date was getting closer, the modules of the course are so big. I can try to explain them to you in a little bit, but like they're just so big that trying to get all of that together for the July date that we had set just felt unrealistic. And then as we were thinking it through, we came onto this idea of splitting it up into launching each module one per month, starting in July. So the four will launch like module one launches in July, two in August, three in September, four in October. There's something that we really liked about that too, because it touches on the flexibility that we want to imbue into the program as well. So that's where we've gotten to for July. So it'll be this one module on self-awareness It's running for a two-week sprint. So you get access to the materials. You have a week to do some stuff. You show up to your live session and then you have a week to like finish stuff. We're doing first come first serve. So we'll see what the cohort looks like. I think ultimately we'd like to have structures in place that make sure that we have diversity in the cohorts. But logistically, I think first come first serve is just so what could be just like 20 of our friends, who knows? (laughs) Hey, sometimes the friends are the best place to start because they're going to be very (laughs) honest and transparent with you. But You mentioned something that I really like. You're making it so it's a very flexible program. These people that are middle-of-the-road employees, they are often the busiest people and their schedules are really hard to navigate. So being able to allow them to have that two-week flexibility to complete the modules and the coursework and then not have it back-to-back, I think that is going to really help with the success of the program because it gives them a little breather and time to really digest the information as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I also think that kind of splitting it up into like these two week sprints, like two weeks feels manageable, right? Whoever you are, no matter how busy your job is, I can commit to like doing some work in two weeks and like Mm -hmm. 
a one 90 minute live session. Once you start expanding that, it's, I mean, there are pros and cons, right? I think when people do commit to it, they're more committed to it when it's like a 10 week program, but you're probably going to get fewer people like committing to that because it is such a long program. So we'll see how it goes, but we think this is a good setup for now. Yeah. And it's not like this is your first rodeo. You've done this before. You understand how people learn. But I, I do want to dive into the modules here. You mentioned that it's a four-module program to start. What can these learners really expect throughout those four months? So, well, so I'll give you a rundown of what the four modules are and how we kind of got to this. The first one is on self-awareness. The second is on your cognitive processes and sort of how you think. So stuff like critical thinking, creative thinking, bias. The third is about how we interact with other people. And so we'll cover things like motivation, power dynamics, trust and safety and communication. And then the final one is about business, essentially. So it's about the systems and the structure of business around you. And so there's a little bit of like history of corporate America and like, how did we get here? Um, there's a little bit of like, what is the business? How is it organized? Like, how is it structured? And then like comes back to like, what is my role as a mid middle manager in this system and structure? So for us, for me, you know, when we look at the whole potential curriculum of things to learn that we wanted to teach, we really wanted to start here. It's going to be a little bit of a different course than what we might offer in the future. Like in, in the future, I see us offering like change management or like capacity planning or like budgeting or how to ask good questions. But all of these courses that I'm talking about now are going to draw on these foundational building blocks of who are you? How do you interact with people around you? How do we think as humans? And like, what are the systems and structures around us? And how does that impact this, right? And so that's kind of where we wanted to start and lay the foundation so that if ever you take any other course in our program, like you've got the basics. So that's how that curriculum came about. And I think module to module, what we're trying to do is, honestly, there's going to be more than you could ever hope to finish in two weeks. Like in self-awareness, we're covering personality, values, skills and abilities, your personal story, like what drives you. And each of those could be a six month course, again, by design. Like I think we'll pick one of those to focus on in the live session. And then you can come back to that on your own pace and even create a schedule for the next six months of like, here's how I'm going to complete all of this. And so that's how it becomes a choose your own adventure a little bit. And like, you can kind of explore and dabble as you see fit. So that's a big part of it. And then I think like I guess the final thing I'll say is the content's going to be pretty concise. Like I want it to be much more active than it is passively consuming material. But what you do consume will present a lot of different perspectives, right? It'll not only cover like, okay, here's what the experts say about it, but like here's some other perspectives on that that you might want to consider, right? A lot of people talk about self-awareness. They don't talk about the fact that it's like a very Western concept. The excessive focus on individualism in Eastern cultures or other cultures that value communal can see self-awareness or like this individual focus as selfish or like negative. Self-awareness can make you very neurotic, right? It can make you narcissistic. So there are like these dark sides of self-awareness that I think people don't often cover. I think we always want to bring in that like, okay, here's the popular perspective and here are some other things to consider, you know? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like these are very much foundational core lessons that are going to build upon each other. So are you thinking that as you continue to build out these programs, that this will be a mandatory starter course for people to be able to like take the leap into Starling? Yeah, that was and is the idea. I think eventually we'll have to see how it all develops and shakes out. I think a lot of it 
we're going to find out very quickly now who's interested in paying for it and signing up. And so that'll impact, you know, how often do we offer this? And, you know, if we only offer it once a quarter, does that create too much of a bottleneck for getting people into the other courses? But I think to your point, philosophically and conceptually, like, yes, I would love it to be the course that you have to take before you take others. Yeah, I'm sure everything's going to evolve and pivot as you learn things through these different test cohort groups. But it does sound like a really great place to get started because it really makes sure that the people that are entering into your program are really aligned with the same values that Jeff and you really sought out to create with Starling here. I do want to touch on this as well because I found this really fascinating from your website. The name Starling was chosen very deliberately. Can we dive into how you came about the name Starling? Yeah. So I feel like from very early on, I don't fully know why this is, but I wanted something that was natural or like from the natural world, whether it related to nature or animals or I don't know, flora or fauna or something like that. So that's kind of like the angle that I was going for. And then quite honestly, I had a lot of conversations with my good friend, ChatGPT, <laughs> and like typed a bunch of words into there and got some ideas. So Starling comes from, do you know what a murmuration is? I do not. So a murmuration is a group of starlings. You'll sometimes, you've probably seen videos and stuff of it. There are these like epic big clouds of bird that kind of seem like, like, how are they doing that? Right? Like they're all just kind of moving together and there's thousands of these birds together in, in these like murmurations. And a murmuration is when you ask chat GPT, like what's an example of collective intelligence in nature in the wild, you know, they'll point to things like a beehive, which feels like overdone at this point, And they'll point to a murmuration. There's no leader in that group. Like there's no lead bird that's like, we're all turning right now. You know, it's like, they're all just this group of birds that are responding and reacting to each other in this really incredible example of collective intelligence. And I think that ethos felt right to us. Murmuration felt like it was hard to say and hard to spell. <laughs> so Starling was born. That's absolutely beautiful. It's a great representation of everything that you're building here with Starling. One other funny thing about the name, we asked ChatGPT, we're like, are there any negative connotations of starlings? And they're like, why, yes, there are. It's like some people see them as invasive species and pests. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> a little controversy never hurt anyone. People are going to see us as annoying too. I'm pretty sure. And like, nah, let's run with it. Rachel, it wouldn't be a conversation without that. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I have thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. I know that the future of Starling is just going to be absolutely incredible. I know we've talked about some of the future things to come. Probably going to have to do a follow-up episode here in a few months just to be able to get some updates as to how this has progressed. But in the meantime, where could listeners turn to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and potentially enroll in this first cohort class? Yeah, so y'all can check out the website. It's starlinglx.com. The domain starling.com was not available. So we went with LX, which could be leadership experience or learning experience, depending on who you ask. And you can check like I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to, you want to find me and follow me or reach out to me and connect to me, uh, that would be another good place to find us. Wonderful. And I'll make sure that everything is linked within the show notes here today as well. I know Starling is all about choosing your own adventure. And I'm just so happy that you specifically have also chosen your adventure and took the leap to start Starling today. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here and for your support and your encouragement too. It's really meant a lot to me. Rachel is proof that often the best things are born after realizing there is a gap in the market. 
As Rachel worked her way into executive level positions within the corporate world, she realized that there was a group that was often being left behind, and that was those in the middle. Her realization has allowed her to create something really needed and something that is going to impact the careers of many individuals. Now, while Rachel shared a lot of great takeaways today, there was one thing that really stood out, and that was that the collective can accomplish more than we can as individuals. So don't be afraid to link arms with others, learn from each other, grow together, because that's truly where the best ideas and growth are born. So let me ask you, self-starter, are you ready to start growing together? Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Self-Starter Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to like and subscribe to stay up to date on the latest content. Want even more? Be sure to head to selfstarter.com. And remember, start today for you, start today for her, and become a self-starter. See you next time.